Welcome to the 3D Podcast. My name is Sean Coleman. As always, joining you, um, co-host Justin Lewis will be with us uh, shortly. But I wanted to uh, take a few moments uh, this week and have a very special guest on, Mr. Brad Rowland. Um, one of the uh, one of the best guys that I know when it comes to Atlanta Hawks basketball. Brad, how are you doing tonight, sir? And thanks so much for joining us. Doing great. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, everything's everything's going pretty well. It's always busy this time of year, but we're, uh, we're rounding into form here, I guess. If uh, if there is um, an Atlanta sports event going on, Brad is probably <laughs> either writing, talking, or at least watching it. Um, and and Brad, if I'm correct, Brad is the host of the Locked On uh, um, uh, Hawks podcast. Of course, we had Mark King, the Locked On Grizzlies host, uh, last week. And Brad, you also are you still with the, the, the uh, uh, Peachtree Hoops, uh, the SB Nation um, Hawks uh, blog? I know that you you're still with them, correct? Yeah, I'm actually the uh, I'm the editor over there. Um, yeah. Run that been running that site for a couple of years now, and was right on it. Right on it for a few few years before that. So very familiar with SB Nation. Still uh, living the dream over there. Yeah, that's what I had thought. I thought you were still connected, but I could not remember if you um, if you were the editor over there. But thank you so much for taking time. Of course, we wanted to invite Brad on uh, this upcoming week. Um, the Hawks and the Grizzlies do play each other actually a couple of times. And uh, Brad will get right into it. You know, um, the, the Grizzlies have been the surprise of the NBA this year um, with their, you know, now in the playoff run. Yes, they are struggling a little bit now. But right in the mix of the West playoff run, However, the Hawks, it was a lot of people kind of considered them a dark horse to do in the East what the Grizzlies have been doing in the West. Obviously, that has not worked out. Just take a few moments. You know, what do you think the biggest reason is as to why, you know, the Hawks, while they have a very intriguing young core, what has been missing from them taking that next step this year? Yeah, I think, like you said, people were uh, fairly aggressive about the Hawks coming into the season. I was not as high as some people were. I thought I think it was probably somewhere around the middle. I thought it was going to be a, a, an improved team, a competitive team. Um, but part of my skepticism with the Hawks came in the fact that the schedule was pretty brutal early on for them. And then it was going to get lighter as the season went along, which as a young team isn't great because um, early on in the season, if you're, if you're a young team is still getting better, you're going to have some trouble beating some good teams. And that's, that was rough. And then I think the biggest thing in terms of wins and losses that has affected this team this year was that John Collins, the team's second best player got suspended for 25 games unexpectedly. And really there was not a lot behind him. Um, it's, it's only one suspension and, you know, with injuries and stuff like that, you know, things can happen, but that was a big blow to them early on. And um, that cost them a few wins for sure. And it just in general, just, just youth. I think people sort of overestimated, I guess, or maybe underestimated how much of the impact it would have been uh, just, just to be so young and be so, I would say, not deep as well. There was not a lot of depth on this team. If you look at just, just the young guys who are fun and, and exciting and people want to kind of play fantasy basketball with it and talk about the five guys that they have, and they should, and they should, but, you know, to win games in the NBA, you got to have eight, nine, ten guys. And the Hawks didn't really have that um, for most of the season this year. So it's a lot of it's a lot of things. I think if you told me that Trey Young was, was going to be this good, I think the Hawks would, would have been better than this. But at the same time, you can kind of see why they have not been better if you pay attention to them. And, um, you know, the, the suspension, the injuries, the youth, the kind of all, a mix of all three. And that kind of leads us to where they are now, which is better than they were early on in the season, but still uh, struggling overall. Um, uh, Lloyd Pierce, the head coach of the uh, the Hawks, um, you know, obviously it seems like that he has had a good rapport with the players and things such as that. Obviously, Taylor Jenkins, the Grizzlies coach, does have some Hawks history in his past from being with Mike Budenholzer there. 
Now, one of the reasons why the Grizzlies have been able to exceed expectations has been Taylor Jenkins doing a really good job in his first year as coach. But Pierce with the Hawks, now in his second year, um, obviously the suspension, you know, things such as that, You again, a very intriguing young core. But has the future, has the opinion of Pierce changed at all, you know, in Atlanta, around the NBA, due to the fact that the Hawks have kind of um, um, not met expectations so far this year? I think a little bit, depending on who you ask, more than anything. Uh, last year, his approval rating was basically 100% for the most part, other than the occasional you know, fringe fan that, was, that would get mad at him. For the most part, last season, Pierce was very, very well regarded. I think this year, around the league, he's still thought of at a high level. I still think that he's done a pretty good job, and he's, he's a good guy. He's easy to talk to. He's charismatic. He's someone who is certainly um, good with player development and all that stuff. But there have been a couple of gaffes in game, and he's admitted to them. Uh, he's, he's, he's a first-time head coach, and it's one of those things where you have to learn on the job to some extent. And then there was, a, there was some reporting during the season when they were losing. And when you lose as much as they, as much as they were, um, the, the heat can kind of arrive on the head coach. And there was, there was some buzz around him nationally, a couple of reports that he might, that he might be in some trouble eventually. Um, and with that comes more, you know, I guess, more of a microscope on you. And when you're, when you're not winning, like you said, the, uh, I don't know, the hot seat can kind of get a little bit hotter. So I, I think overall, people that pay attention closely to this team are still generally fine with the way that Pierce um, is coaching. And I think um, overall the plan is still in place, but I do think that the, uh, his approval rating has gone down a little bit this year, which is to be expected in some respects, because if you follow the NBA at all, really for a long time, um, the first, the first person that gets the heat is usually the head coach when things, when things don't go well. And that's what's happening in Atlanta for the most part. So I think he's you know, done, done a pretty decent job, not a perfect job. And uh, in general though, um, the approval rating is going down a little bit. And I can, you know, here, here in Memphis, we definitely can talk about, you know, the head coach getting the heat, even when you win. <laughs> that's that's how it works out. Um, what observation, you know, kind of looking at the Hawks from an outsider's perspective, what observation that's there is that, of course, the offense is – their sky's the limit through the roof, especially with um, um, Trey Young there, with Collins back, Huter, the rest of them there. One thing, though, about Atlanta that does seem to be still a work in progress is certainly defense. One thing that has helped out the Grizzlies is that as their offense was performing quite well as the calendar turned to 2020, their defense has consistently been getting better, at least before the All-Star break. Y'all did acquire Clint Capella at the um, trade deadline. But do you feel that that, I mean, obviously that would be the next step forward for the Hawks. How quickly could you see them doing that? Is that kind of a goal in the second half this year is to see that defense improve, hopefully to really be there for the 2021 season when hopefully the Hawks will take that next step? Yeah, I think so. I think Capella is a good player on both ends of the floor, but for the most part, the Hawks, uh, the biggest need for the Hawks was at center, but it was also just more about captaining the defense and being that backline defender. Um, we've even seen now in small sample sizes when they also traded for Dwayne Dedman, who isn't a star by any means, but is a solid enough player that even having, having a guy like that changes the defense quite a bit. There are still holes on this defense, and I think long-term that's the biggest question with this team is if they can build a good defense because Trey Young, it's not exactly a secret. Trey Young is not going to be a good defender at really any point. And it's not all him by any means. I think he actually gets too much of the blame sometimes for the Hawks defense. Trey is not a good defender, but there are other issues on this on this team in terms of defense right now. In fact, um, a lot of the guys that they sort of brought in this year and you know even the guys who they drafted who were, I, I would say, defense first draft picks and Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter, Rookies don't usually change your defense. Like those guys have done a pretty decent job, especially Reddish, who's been very good defensively this year. 
But, you know, first-year guys aren't going to come over and just, you know, transform your defense in a positive way. So I think the Hawks will be better defensively in the future, but it is their biggest challenge also in that, um, you know, building around Troy Young, you kind of have to be almost perfect with your defense elsewhere in order to make up for him and uh, sort of a trade-off in that in that respect. So I think that there are already a little bit of there, – there are some signs already, and I think – as the team gets older, um, d- defense gets a little bit easier for guys as they start to learn around the league. But it is the biggest question, I would say, long term, even though they have some more offense, too. But defensively, um, they're going to have to see what they can do. And I think Capella will help. We'll see how much it helps. The other question that I'll ask, you know, in terms of the, the, the Hawks themselves, you know, obviously the Hawks themselves have a, a cupboard of talent that I know the Grizzlies would love to have with John Morant. But talking about their wing. Um, uh, depth with with Huter and Hunter, um, DeAndre Hunter, Kevin Huter, and uh, Cam Reddish. How do you see Trey Young helping their development? Do you feel that they will maximize their development with Trey Young? And eventually, when it comes time in a few years to where you've got to start extending guys with Capella now potentially in the equation, do you feel like that? If these three guys develop, does that potentially put the uh, long term? Um, uh, a long-term stay for John Collins um, in question with Atlanta. Kind of how do you see the development of those three wing players helping the Hawks reach their goal? And also how might it affect Collins' long-term future with the club? Yeah, I think long-term, it's easy to fall in love, you know, especially locally here. I think they're kind of just referred to as this five-man unit. And it's because they all kind of fill in the positions a little bit. They're not perfectly fitting together, but you have Trey Young at the point guard spot. You have Kevin Herter at the shooting guard spot. You have Reddish and Hunter who are forwards. And then you have Collins, who's this like kind of combination four or five guy. So if you people like to project them as this five-man unit moving forward, and I think the smart money always in a rebuild is that somebody isn't going to be around long-term. Um, it's not impossible for them to all be around, but I think usually if you track the way these things go, especially when the Hawks, by the way, are going to have another top 10 pick this year, to bring in and that guy's going to come in too. So you're going to have a core that's going to be seven guys deep. And usually that that, that doesn't usually uh, continue. So I think the wings are in very, are in varied positions of their development right now. I think Collins is just a lot further ahead than the wings are. Collins is already like a perennial 20 and 10 guy. Who's just very good. Whereas the wings, uh, Kevin Herter is in year two, but you know, he's had some injuries. He's been inconsistent at times. I think he's been pretty good overall, but and the other two guys are rookies. So I think, Ultimately, you know, you're hoping to, that you hit on two of the three wings. I think ideally, if you're the Hawks, that would be your your dream is to just have two, have your starting wings be two of those three guys. We'll see if that, that works out. There are plenty of good signs on, on all three of them and also some question marks on all three of them. So we'll see how they fare with Trey Young. I think Trey's presence makes everything easier for everybody on offense. And on defense, it makes their life a little bit harder. So it's just one of those things where you want to have, you know, perfect partners. It's not always that easy. And none of the three guys, I would say, are like absolutely – you know, locks to be starters in the future. I think they're likely to all be pretty good players, but um, still a lot of growth to come. I can definitely see that. Collins Collins was definitely fine. Y'all definitely have um, done quite an awesome job of, like I say, getting, you know, all that young talent together, which is a lot like the Grizzlies have done. Now, Brad, I, I know you, you are close to Memphis. Don't know how much you actually, um, you know, keep up with the Grizzlies, but I'm sure obviously you you have a, a turn to a night or two into watching the Grizzlies with Morant and Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. As an outsider's perspective, who gets to see a potential generational point guard every night in the midst of a rebuild. You have, a, I think, a stronger opinion on this than most. But looking at the Grizzlies from an outsider's perspective, what do you think 
of how much success they've had and, and what strikes you as potentially the, the biggest positive of it all? I think the biggest positive is still probably just having John Morant. As simple as that might sound, to have the guy, had the quote unquote, the guy is always what you want. I mean, every rebuild starts with the fact that you have to get the guy on your team that is going to be either your best player, or your number two guy, or, you know, have, having a centerpiece of your team is the biggest thing. And, you know, John Morant looks to be that, looks to be on the way to being that. He's already obviously been so good in the early going. But I think, you know, in, ter- in terms of this season alone, the young guys have all played well. I think Brandon Clark is someone I've always loved. I, I cover the draft and always really, really liked Brandon Clark. Same with Jaron Jackson. I know it's banged up right now, but those guys are both, you know, very interesting players and very good players already. Um, and then if, if you look at the roster at the moment, the Grizzlies have some pretty good supporting talent. And it, and it may not be like these flashy guys, but you know, Dylan Brooks is a good player who's a young player. Um, even Valanciunas is a, a guy who, who who plays his role very well. He's not going to like win you a championship, but it's he's a guy who's a good player. I mean, they, ha- they have a, a, a few of these supporting pieces that really make their lives easier right now. But at the end of the day, it all comes back to the fact that you want to have those high-end pieces. And I think Morant looks like that. I think Jackson, to a certain degree, looks like that as well. And if you have those two guys who can be, you know, your linchpins long term, you know, that's that's kind of the biggest thing with any rebuild. So I think you're kind of ahead of the game there. And Morant's but Morant being so good that's fast definitely helps speed things up a little bit. And of course, you know, I, I'll center. You're right. You need that that alpha, that that go to guy. Thankfully, Atlanta and Memphis seem to both have that at the point guard position. Now, looking at Trey Young and John Morant, obviously, game's a little bit different. Young does a lot of his damage on the perimeter. Morant does his in the paint and at the rim. But in general, you know, the the shooting potential of Trey Young, there very few, maybe just Steph Curry, uh, in terms of shooting potential out there in the NBA right now. Morant as a finisher has drawn comparisons to Russell and, and other players. But when you look at these two players, I'm not necessarily trying to say project where they'll be, but do you feel like with the second year step that Trey Young has taken, do you see potential like that for John Morant? Or do you feel like that, you know, they, they'll probably be on similar levels as their careers go just in different ways. Do you think they're both perennial all-star starters or do you see one kind of being on a lower level than the other going forward? I think, you know, given what Morant has done, you have to assume he's going to be a star. Now there, I guess there are degrees of stardom. There are guys who are stars who are probably just top 20 players instead of top seven or eight players. And that becomes the question mark with both of these guys is like, we know how good they are right away, but how high is the highest ceiling that they can have? And I think there was actually a question about this on Twitter, uh, probably about a week ago that became a sort of a debate between um, Morant and Trey Young. And um, I think Young is a better player right now. He's a year ahead. That's that's kind of what happens. Um, And especially offensively, I think Young is is a step or two ahead, but he's also had the extra year. Morant's a better athlete. He's bigger. I think he's, he definitely projects to be the better defensive player. So you, they're just very different players, even, even at, the, at the same position. But I do expect them both to be stars for a long time. And um, it kind of, you know, it's actually a, a pretty interesting exercise to watch these two guys coming up at the same time. They'll be compared to each other for a long time, I'd imagine, because they were both top five picks in, you know, back-to-back drafts and position and all that stuff. But they're also just so different that it will be interesting to see how both teams build around them because you need different things. Young shooting and the way that he passes the ball at, at an elite level already, 
um, kind of break defenses, whereas Morant is that physical freak that can kind of get to the rim and do other things and probably projects as a better defender. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think they're both going to be very good. Uh, I think Young is ahead right now, but he's also supposed to be ahead in year two versus year one. So they'll be close, and it wouldn't it wouldn't stun me if Morant ended up being better. Uh, I think I would probably lean toward Young slightly because we ju- we've just seen more from him, and I'm usually going to default to the guys that we've just seen it happen, but they're both going to be stars for a long time. Brad, as we, as we, again, we're talking with Brad Roland, um, uh, Locked on Grizzlies, um, or Locked on Hawks host. Sorry about that, Brad. And also the uh, the editor over at uh, SB Nation Peachtree Hoops for the Hawks. A couple of quick questions also. Uh, so the Hawks and the Grizzlies, two straight years of building through the draft. You know, the Hawks have had three, really. But, you know, within a two- or three-year window, have just really hit on having good talented picks and that's how they built in markets that you know haven't necessarily attracted top free agents we've seen oklahoma city hoard their draft picks because they know what it's like to get stars to stay while we've seen the free agents pair up and everything else do you feel like that this could you know put a shift in the nba's view um, view of how to build teams that as small markets hoard these draft picks and over a two or three year window, they try to hit on as many as possible. Do you feel like that that it could be a shift in the NBA and that more teams will start focusing on that? Or do you still feel like there's going to be several summers in the future where we see these superstars pair up as uh, you know we go over the, in that next five to 10 years? I think stars are probably going to pair up. That's kind of the way things have been going for a while now. But if you're a small market team, which you said, and I know Atlanta is not a small market, but they sort of they sort of operate like one in the NBA circles. Atlanta is obviously a huge city, but it's still kind of a small market team in the way that they've operated. So it's, I think, ideally still the big market teams like the Lakers will be able to draw superstars. They've always had that built-in advantage. But if you're a team like the Grizzlies or the Hawks, I am sort of in favor of the rebuild model when you need to do that and tear it down and sort of hoard picks and do the whole rebuild thing that, that they've both actually done. I think it's working to two different degrees, obviously, but both teams, because they have their star guy locked in, at least one of their star guys locked in, at least has a chance to work. That's, that's the risky thing about a rebuild. You get in a situation where you get a team that, and you miss on a pick or two and you're suddenly behind the eight ball and it's really hard to rebuild that way. But if you get a star in the early going of your rebuild, like both these teams have, that's a pretty good path. And it's probably, one of the better ones that you can get because like you said, it's really hard to recruit free agents to Memphis and Atlanta. Um, the Hawks and basically in my adult life have made one big flashy free agent signing and it was Dwight Howard and it was, a da- and it was, it was pretty much a disaster. So uh, if I'm covering the Hawks, I would want to tell people that, you know, obviously it helps to add cap space and maybe, maybe eventually you'll get somebody to pair with Trey Young, but ideally like these pipe dreams and scenarios that like the Lakers can pull off, aren't as likely in these uh, in these small market places. So having the guy on your roster like Morant or like Young gives you some hope that maybe in the future um, you might have a free agent or maybe a guy that wants a trade that wants to play with that guy because he is like that kind of magnet player. But um, ultimately it's easier and I think probably more advantageous, even if it's kind of risky always to rebuild. Um, it's easier, I think, long-term if you want to win a championship to kind of take that swing in that way. And you- you see, you know, kind of how on some of these trades, like with Oklahoma City when they traded Paul George, with New Orleans when they traded Anthony Davis, while they're not on the level of the Clippers or the Lakers, the Pelicans and the Thunder are right there in the big, mainly because of the hauls that they got back. So it can work out both ways um, if you try to rebuild or if you trade a star. 
Brad, the one last question I will ask with your um, knowledge, I know that it's a work in progress, but obviously working on the draft and things like that. Now, I know that there's probably going to be connections between Anthony Edwards and um, the uh, the Hawks with their pick, especially if it's early. But around Memphis, you know, we do have a couple of guys here, including James Wiseman. And before the Capella pick, I think that there were some connections between Atlanta and Wiseman, not necessarily focused on that, but what do you think of Wiseman's prospects? And is there any other Memphis Tigers that you feel like could, you know, be a good selection in this draft that really could, you know, um, catch the eye of NBA teams? Yeah, I think Wiseman's really interesting. I, I do some draft coverage, so I, I have been to pay attention closely. And obviously, it's, it's more difficult to evaluate him as he's not playing. But um, that was a very popular pairing for a reason before the Capella trade. I think now, obviously, the Hawks won't be you know, centering on centers the way they were going to be. But Wiseman's still probably going to be a top five pick. And he's one of those guys that just looks like a freak NBA player at 7-1 with 7-6 wingspan. Like, he just kind of looks like he's going to be incredible. Um, he's, not a perfect, he's not a perfect prospect by any means, but certainly a very, very talented guy that I think has super high upside, particularly defensively. Centers are tough. In modern NBA, like if you're not an absolute elite talent, having a center as a top five pick probably isn't exactly what you want to do. But Wiseman actually has that kind of upside, I think. I'm not sure if he's going to hit it, but he definitely has the tools to be that kind of player. I mean, the other guy is is Precious Achua, and that, that he's definitely an interesting prospect in a lot of ways. Not necessarily a top ten guy, but probably, probably going to be a first-round pick, I would imagine. Kind of a tweener, but someone who has a, a ton of athletic skill. Uh, he's not the tallest guy, but he's super long. And I think he's been productive this year at Memphis. So that makes it at least interesting enough. Um, that's a pretty talented roster. Um, not as talented as it would have been with James Wiseman on it, of course. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think those those two guys are probably going to be first-round picks. I know Wiseman definitely will be a first-round pick. And uh, beyond that, you get into some more depth pieces. But those two guys, definitely keep an eye on them. I know that there's been some some talk around about with the precious that uh you know with his numbers and with just his his athletic profile and things like that you know if he gets taken you know back in the later rounds I know he's gotten some comparison to some pretty hefty names so so we'll see uh, um, what finds out now with it being draft season you know of course Brad you being in Atlanta Memphis while we love the Grizzlies love the Tigers um, you know well some of us love the Tigers I'm a Vols fan that's a story for another time but what I'm getting at is is that there is a lot of focus on the draft coverage where can folks find your work so they can keep up with your perspective and get an idea of how to follow you just to get an idea of what you think coming up you know in a, in a pretty important part of the basketball season yeah, the easiest way to do that is probably to follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. That's R-O-W-L-A-N-D. And I also write over at Peachtree Hoops, like you said, do a lot of draft coverage there because the Hawks have been rebuilding for a while. That becomes almost a draft-only site for a couple of months um, between between like April and June. Um, and then I also write for Dime, uh, which is uh, used to be a magazine. Now it's a website I'm over at Uprock Sports. So um, go ahead and follow me on Twitter. That's the best way to find that stuff. But I'm, I'm always around talking about Mostly basketball, also some baseball stuff. We work together on the, on the baseball side as well. So uh, I'm plugged in, uh, mostly Atlanta stuff, but also some national NBA. His name is Ed Rowan. Again, you can follow him at BT Rowan on Twitter. Brad, if you'll stick around for just a few moments after, um, uh, we're glad to talk with you. But again, thank you so much, Brad, for joining us. And uh, again, my name is Sean Coleman. We'll be right back with you here on the 3 d Podcast.
We all need the right tools for success. A painter needs their perfect brushes, and a climber needs to be able to rely on their harness. And for your work, you need to stay connected. With Slack, teams can help you work better. Slack is a productivity platform that connects all your team members together instantly. It's built to help your team with a host of features like huddles for quick check-ins and clips for recording and sharing video. Slack also makes it easy to search and find the right information you need. You can even integrate the apps you use in your normal workflow, like your calendar or product management tools, so you stay focused on the work that matters and get more done. Learn more at slack.com/productivity.